0: All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you and praise you um, that your work is finished. Lord Jesus, truly your voice is beautiful to us as in the scriptures we hear you say from that cross that it is finished. Lord, we're not left wondering if what you did on that cross um, would be enough to save us. Uh, You testified to us that it was that you paid for all of our sin, not just some of it, not just the past sin, not just the sins of today, but also the sins of tomorrow. Lord, you dealt with all of our sin. You paid for all of it, and you've washed us white as snow. Our salvation is secure. You purchased our pardon, and you will not be robbed of what you purchased on the cross. Lord, you have accomplished our salvation once and for all. Lord, we thank you for that, and because of that security, Lord, we can run every day all out and following you. We don't need to fear if we are going to um, accidentally trip and be lost because you have purchased us, and nothing will take us out of your hand, Lord. So we thank you for that, the assurance that we receive from your word. And yet, at the same time, you call us to persevere. You call us to keep believing, not because uh, there is some kind of insufficiency in what you accomplished on the cross, but simply because that is what you have ordained uh, for the instrument of our salvation to be, faith, faith, Lord. We receive your salvation through faith. And so... Uh, We don't just believe today, but we believe tomorrow and the next and the next until the day we die. It's through faith that we receive this so great salvation, Lord. Um, And so we are exhorted uh, to persevere. Not that there's a question of whether or not we will lay hold of that salvation, but simply because this is the way in which you give it to us, Lord. We thank you for... um, how your word is so balanced, it assures us and comforts us and challenges us at the same time without contradicting itself. And Lord, we're going to encounter a passage that's like that this morning. We pray you'd give us wisdom and insight as we read your word and we consider what your word says. Help us, Lord, to understand these things. Help me to explain it in a way that's helpful and not confusing, Lord. Um, May you have your way uh, in all that is said here as we go to your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be finishing chapter 9 today. We're looking at verses 24 through 27. Chapter 9, verse 24. Paul asks... Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others I myself will not be disqualified." When I was getting ready for this message, uh, my memory went back to my time in high school, which is always a scary place to go, but in high school I ran varsity indoor track for my junior and senior year and that's not an impressive thing, they didn't cut anybody, anybody could join, and I only participated in one event and that was the long jump which I never jumped very long in. But I remember one track meet where, I'm fuzzy on the details, but if I remember correctly, at this meet there was a runner from a junior varsity team who was entered into the 400 meter event and they happened to be the only one entered and so they had no one to run against and so my coach decided to enter me into this event to run against this little fellow (laughs) and I can't remember the age gap between us but it could have been me an eighteen-year-old senior running against a fourteen or fifteen-year-old eighth-grader or freshman so that that was the field that day in the four hundred meter run so the race began and I'm ashamed to say I was absolutely dominating this little kid. He was eating my dust. But there was only one problem. The indoor track was 200 meters around. I also ran outdoor track, and the outdoor track was 400 meters around. So as I was blowing this little kid away, I had in my mind that one lap equals 400 meters. And so we're running, I'm winning, I complete one lap and then I slow down because I think the, way, the race is over and I've won. But the problem is I'd only run half of the race and so I look over my shoulder and this little kid, he's still running his heart out past the one lap and I realize my mistake that, wow, I've got to start running again or I'm going to lose. I've already embarrassed myself by thinking it's over. I cannot doubly embarrass myself by losing to this little child. These Corinthian believers that we've been reading about, they had entered a race themselves, the race of faith. And like me, embarrassing myself by thinking that I had won the race when I was actually still in the middle of the race, these believers were behaving as if they had already completed the race of faith when in fact they had only just begun. And as believers, we too can forget sometimes that we are in the middle of a race. If we're not in the ground, we are still in the middle of a race. Our God has called us to live by faith in him. And living by faith, running this race by faith results in us living a life of love for him and a life of love for our neighbor. True faith produces love, selfless love. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but the new life in Christ that we have been saved unto is a life of loving God above all others and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Love flows out of faith. It flows out of the salvation we have received from God. So, when there is no love in our hearts, that is a symptom of an underlying disease, and that disease is unbelief. The Corinthians were loving themselves and they were overlooking brothers and sisters in Christ who needed their support. And that indicated something specific to Paul. That indicated that their, their lack of love indicated there, that there was a lack of faith in these believers. They were slowing to a walk in the race of faith when they should have still been running hard. And we can fall into the same behavior ourselves like I did in that race. And this passage that we're looking at this morning shows us how we need to keep running to the end. It shows us how to win this race of faith and it will give us three strategies for doing so. Three strategies for doing so. And the first strategy we find in verse 24 and it is this, persevere, don't presume. Persevere, don't presume. Like our modern-day Olympic Games, ancient Greece had their own games. They had four big games. They were called the Pan-Hellenic Games. And the first, you'll recognize, was the most important. It was the Olympic Games, and it occurred every four years. But the second most important of these major games were the Isthmian Games, the Isthmian Games. And the Corinthians would have been very familiar with this event because Corinth was the city that hosted this event. It occurred every two years, right in Corinth, right on the isthmus of Corinth there. And Paul, in writing about a race here in these verses, he's likely drawing an illustration from these games. And so he says what he says in verse 24. He says, "'Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize?' That's pretty obvious. They didn't hand out participation trophies back then. Only one person won. You couldn't set foot on the track in that stadium and assume that you were gonna win just by showing up. It wasn't guaranteed, it wasn't an automatic, it wasn't winning follows just putting your foot on the track. No, you're gonna have to run hard and you're gonna have to run to the very end of the race in order to win. And by giving this illustration, Paul is setting up for what he's going to talk about in chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, where he will draw upon the example of the Israelites. And in those first six verses of chapter 10, Paul will point out four separate times that the Israelites were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea they all ate the same spiritual food they all drank the same spiritual drink but verse 5 nevertheless with most of them God was not well pleased for they were struck down in the wilderness so not all of them ended up in the promised land here in chapter 9 verse 24 Paul is pointing to the Isthmian games and he's showing that simply being a contestant in the race doesn't mean you can sit back, take it easy, and expect to win that race, just like simply being an Israelite who came through the Red Sea could assume that they were just going to show up at the Promised Land without having to continue to exercise faith in the God who delivered them from Egypt. Being in the race is not the same thing as winning the race, And remember, the Corinthians were acting as though they had already won the race. Turn back to chapter 4 and verse 10 where Paul rebukes them ironically. There's a heavy tone of irony in his voice as he addresses them in chapter 4 and in verse 8. He's rebuking them. He's not affirming them. He says, verse 8 of chapter 4, You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have ruled without us. And how I wish that you had ruled indeed, so that we also might rule with you. Verse 10, We are fools for the sake of Christ, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are glorious, but we are without honor. That's what they thought about themselves. They thought they had won the race when, in fact, they'd only just started the race. And they're because they think they've won already, that they've arrived, they're wandering off the track, so to speak, and they're going to lunch in idle temples, or at least they're contemplating doing that, and that bad example is encouraging other believers to stop running their race and join them in that kind of unbelieving behavior. And so Paul is like the track coach on the infield throwing up his hands and saying, what are you doing? Get back on the track and run. My coach might have done that to me. That might have been why I realized I was only halfway through. I can't remember. It's probably because I tried to block it out of my brain. But in the second half of verse 24, is that not what he says? He says, run, run in such a way that you may win. By saying earlier in this illustration that only one runner wins the prize, Paul didn't mean to say that only one believer will be able to win the race of faith out of all the other believers who are running. That wasn't the point that he was making. The point of his illustration there was instead the perseverance and the focus and the determination and the effort that those racers were putting forth to win. That's the point he's making, he's saying, You see how they were running? You run like that. That's how you run. Don't assume that you can quit running midway through and still win the race. He's saying, go out there and take the prize. Go grab it. Don't just sit back and think that just because your name was on the roll of those who entered the event that that means you're gonna win. You have to run. And this is what Paul told Timothy to do. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 and 12. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. Verse 12 fight the good fight of faith and listen to what he says next take hold of the eternal life to which you were called take hold of the eternal life to which you were called the christian life is a race now how do we enter this race how do we enter the christian life It's by turning from our sins and placing our trust in Jesus Christ alone to be our Savior and Lord. It's by believing that he alone did what was necessary to save you. Believing that he alone lays claim to your entire life. That's how you enter the race. But you have to run that race to the end. What does that look like? Well, it looks like how the race started. Running the race to the end is continuing to repent and believe every day. Tomorrow you've got to wake up and you still have to have that heart of repentant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to run the race and to do that every day until the day you die. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and it never stops being by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Tomorrow, salvation is by faith alone. And the next day and the next, until the Lord comes back, it's always through faith alone. And it never stops being that way. So you cannot turn from his grace, turn from the faith, turn from following Christ midway through the race and still expect to receive the prize of the full experience of salvation at the end. There is a sense in which our salvation is a present possession now. And we received it the moment we trusted Christ. Scripture teaches that. That is true. And it is right and good for us to speak like that. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Past tense. You have been saved. That's true. But there's also a sense in which our salvation is a future possession that we have not yet fully come to experience and we will not yet fully experience until after our own death and resurrection. Scripture also teaches that. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. It says, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation. Will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So there's a sense in which we have salvation now, but there's also a sense in which we are waiting for that fullness of salvation, for our Lord to come back. As that first song we sang was, we're waiting for that day when we'll be freed to sin no more. It's that fullest experience of salvation that we are yet waiting for. In Romans 13, verse 11, Paul says, It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Not here yet, nearer though, nearer to us than when we first believed. So we have to hold on to both truths. We have salvation now if we're trusting in Christ. But there's another sense in which we're waiting for it. And we have to believe, keep believing until we receive it. And these two truths are not contradictory to one another. Why not? Because salvation is through faith. Our present salvation is given to us on the basis of Christ's work on the cross received through faith and our future salvation is given to us on the basis of Christ's work on the cross and received through faith. It's all through faith. What is contradictory is to think that I'm saved by faith now but that I can abandon the faith and later experience future salvation even though I don't have faith. Because when I say that, I'm saying that actually salvation is not through faith alone. And that is an unbiblical statement. That's what is contradictory. In this passage, Paul is calling believers to run, to persevere in faith for the sake of winning the prize, taking hold of the prize, taking hold of the eternal life to which they've been called. So we need to persevere, not presume, not think that I can stop believing tomorrow and still be a participant in that future salvation. No, we need to persevere in faith. And that brings us to our second strategy in verse 25. And that is this. Practice self-control, not self-indulgence. Practice self-control, not self-indulgence. Verse 25 Begins Now everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. In those ancient games, similar to our present-day Olympic games, there was an incredible amount of effort and self-control that went into competing in those games. And that phrase, compete in the games, there's one Greek word behind that phrase, and it's agonizomai. Think of our English word, agonize. It meant to strive, to be engaged in a struggle, engaged in a contest, and this word was used to describe those athletes. They were striving, struggling in what they were doing. Think of a football player stepping on the field, willing to have his bones broken, willing to have his tendons torn, vomiting on the sidelines because of how hard he's working on the field, being hooked up to an oxygen mask like he's on the top of Mount Everest, trying to get enough oxygen back into his body so he can show up for the next play. That's agony, agonizing. Paul says these athletes are doing that. He says, um, he's saying they all do that, and not only that, but Everyone who agonizes, who competes in the games, exercises self-control in all things. They exercise self-control, not in some things, but in all things. To compete in the games, you had to be on a strict diet. You had to adhere to a very strict training regimen. Otherwise, you weren't going to have any chance to win that event. You think of today's games, and you marvel at the physical shape they're in. Well, do we realize that you don't get to look like that and move like they move unless your entire life is oriented to training and exercising self-control for the purpose of preparing for that event. Their whole life is wrapped up in getting ready for that event. Everything else is secondary. If something gets in the way of their preparation, that thing needs to be jettisoned out of their lives because that could mean the difference between winning or losing. Self-control in all things. Now, why do these athletes put themselves through this agony and this extreme self-denial? Paul says in verse 25, "...they then do it to receive a corruptible crown." After all the months of preparation, all the exertion, if they happen to be the winner, the guy left standing, what does he receive for his Herculean efforts? He receives a corruptible crown. That word crown is Stephanos. A Stephanos was not a royal crown, it was a victor's crown. It was nothing but pine leaves or withered celery that was woven together in a wreath that you would then have placed upon your head. And of course, it wouldn't take very long for that thing to just fall apart. All of that for a piece of leaf to be put on your head. Of course, that's not all they were after. They were after the glory, the fame, the prestige, the status that that would bring to them. But even that faded away. If I were to ask you, Who were the winners of certain events in the Olympics 20 years ago? You probably would not be able to tell me. They're lost to the memory of history. And when they get old, they're unable to get that glory back that they had for a moment. It's gone forever. And Paul, in illustrating it in this way, it's as though he's sitting with these believers in the stadium at the games and he's pointing out the athletes who have stepped up to receive their leafy crown. And he says, look at how hard they worked for something that means so little. They do it to receive a corruptible crown. But then he goes on. They exercise self-control to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. A believer in Christ is someone who exercises self-control in all things to receive an incorruptible crown. That's what is to characterize the believer, self-control in all things, motivated by laying hold of that incorruptible crown. And Paul... He has already given us an example of what the believer exercising self-control in all things looks like. Look back up in chapter 9 at verse 12, the second part of that verse. Look at what Paul says. Nevertheless, we did not use this authority, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. And look at verse 19. He says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. And then verse 23, so I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul was living the Christian life like he was an Olympian, exercising self-control in all things. And he's calling these believers, and he's calling you and me here today, to follow that example. Reaching back into chapter 8, do you remember what Paul was specifically exhorting these believers to exercise self-control in? For the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. He was exhorting them to give up Dining in idol temples so they wouldn't trip up another believer's faith. This is all written in that context. Now what does looking out for your brothers and sisters in Christ have to do with persevering in faith? Because we know faith is not good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved through faith alone. And that's true. True. But what is the fruit of faith? What does faith produce? Faith produces loving obedience, does it not? James chapter 2 verse 20 says that faith without works is useless. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says that by faith Abraham obeyed. By faith Abraham obeyed. If we profess to have faith in Christ but we do not obey Christ, then that shows that that faith that we think we have is not true faith because it's not producing anything. Now, if faith produces obedience, then what will persevering in faith result in? It will result in persevering in obedience. And that is what Paul is calling these Corinthian believers to He's calling them by saying, exercise self-control in all things. Give up dining in idle temples. He's simply calling them to live out the faith they profess to have. And that is not a tall order for the Christian, because if I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of everything, that means I will be willing to give up everything, deny myself everything, For his sake, because he's my master. Not that thing, not my desires, him alone. If I'm unwilling to give something up, that means I don't really believe Jesus is Lord. Self-control in all things. To receive an incorruptible crown. What is this incorruptible crown that exercising self-control in all things leads to? Paul doesn't say much about it here, but he does say more elsewhere, as do James and Peter and John. And I just want to run you through a string of passages showing what this biblical teaching about this crown is. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Starting in verse 7, this is Paul's testimony as he's looking to be martyred for his faith. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. There's race language. I have finished the course. I have kept, what? Kept the faith. What's the result? Verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me the crown, the Stephanos. The crown of righteousness. How do we receive righteousness? How are we made right with God? It's through faith. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You don't love his appearing unless you believe he's coming and you want his reign over your life. This is saturated with persevering in faith type language. And the crown is received in connection with persevering in the faith. Next, go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, these are not different crowns. It's just the same crown, but it's being described in different ways, because the prize is righteousness. It's eternal life. So James describes it here as the crown of life, and it's again awarded in connection with what persevering under trial next go to first Peter chapter 5 first Peter and verses 1 through 3 of chapter 5 this is Peter giving instructions to fellow elders calling them to persevere in being the kind of elder that the chief shepherd wants them to be. And if they persevere in that, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we've seen it described as a crown of righteousness, crown of life here, described as the crown of glory. And again, how do we end up in glory? It's by grace alone through faith alone. And then let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And verse 10. This is Jesus' letter to the ancient church of Smyrna. And listen to what he says to these believers in verse 10. He says, "'Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested.' and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's perseverance in faith. Next, chapter 3, verse 11, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Listen to what Jesus says in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, I am coming quickly, Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold fast what you have. And it's an expression of persevering in faith in Christ so that no one will take your crown, so that no one will rob you of your crown of righteousness, your crown of life, your crown of glory. This is all talking about persevering in faith to receive the crown, the prize at the end, the experience of full and final salvation, freed to sin no more. And Paul is saying that believers run the race to the end. Believers exercise self-control in all things to receive an incorruptible crown, righteousness, life, glory, which does not fade away. That is the prize that he's telling these believers to run to win. This is the crown that awaits us, us who persevere in faith. And if athletes exercise self-control in all things just to get a piece of lettuce placed on their head, then how much more should we as believers run to the end, exercise self-control in all things if the crown that will be placed on our head at the end is righteousness, life, glory, How much more should we be willing to exercise self-control in all things? And this causes us to do inventory in our lives. What are those things that hinder our ability to run the race of faith? What gets in the way of me studying and meditating on the scriptures, of me joining with my brothers and sisters in Christ, of me sharing the gospel with the lost and spending time in prayer with the Lord? Those are all things that feed our faith. Those are all things that are the outworkings of our faith. What is getting in the way of us running by faith? We cannot afford to stop mid-race. Because if we stop running mid-race, we will not receive the crown. Whatever it may be that is getting in the way of you and I running the race of faith, I promise you, it is not worth losing your crown over. It's not. So we need to ask the Lord to give us, to supply us continually the faith that produces self-control so that we can reprioritize our life such that God's priorities are now my priorities. And again, if there is something that you are not willing to give up for the sake of your Lord, then you need to know that you're putting your faith in that thing instead of Jesus Christ because you think that thing will satisfy you more than he will and that things your Lord instead of Jesus so we need to be willing to exercise self-control in all things not exercise self-indulgence and that brings us to our last strategy that we find in verses 26 to 27 And that strategy is be purposeful, not purposeless. In these verses, Paul now applies these principles to himself. In verse 26, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. He's, again, using gaming terminology, running a race, a boxing match, those were events in the games. And Paul is saying, when I run, I run with my eye on the goal. When I box, I'm not just beating the air. I'm not throwing haymakers all over the place and hoping I get lucky. I'm seeking to plant my knuckles in the gut of the guy in front of me and to sink my hand into his mouth. That's what I'm trying to do. With every move I make, that's what I'm trying to get done. And that was how Paul lived his Christian life. Remember, Chapter 9, verses 22 to 23, he says, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. His entire life was oriented to the goal of spreading the gospel and becoming a fellow partaker of the gospel. And then he continues the boxing metaphor in verse 27 by saying, I discipline my body and make it my slave. That word discipline, it means to strike in the face, to give a black eye to someone. And who's the opponent in the ring with him? It's himself. He's disciplining, he's beaten on himself. And he's not talking about literally slapping himself in the face. He's talking about taking every effort to direct the energies of his body toward one goal not spreading it around all over the place, seeking other goals. He has a single-minded focus on that one goal of sharing the gospel and partaking of the gospel. Is that not what Jesus told us in Matthew 5, verses 29 to 30? If your right eye causes you to sin, what do you do with that? You rip it out of your head so that it doesn't cause you to do that anymore. He's not literally saying we should do that, but he is saying, you be ruthless with your sin. You don't let anything get in the way of living for me. That's what Jesus is saying. So why is Paul putting himself through this? So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul wasn't thinking, I'm an apostle, I can take it easy, I don't need to believe tomorrow. I'm saved. No, he believed he had to run the race of faith to the end himself. We can read about that in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 14, where he forgets what lies behind and he presses on toward the goal to win the prize. I have to bring this message to a close, so I'm going to ask, are you running with purpose? Are you orienting your entire life around the goal, receiving the crown from your Lord's hand? Is everything in your life contributing to that? And if there's things that are actually getting in the way of that, those are things you need to get rid of so that you can focus on pleasing Jesus, trusting Jesus to the very end, and living for Him. And just one more word before I end. We're commanded here to strive, as Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow door. But that command to strive does not mean that we are to run, fearing every moment that we may unwittingly fall out of the race and be disqualified and fail to receive our crowns. I want you to not forget how Paul opened this letter in chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Do you remember what he said? He said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him, in all word, and all knowledge, even as the witness about Christ was confirmed in you so that you're not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, beyond reproach, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see that the people that Paul was passionately exhorting to persevere in the faith are the very same people he boldly declared would be confirmed to the end, that they would run to the very end. And it was due to the faithfulness of the God who called them You see, if you are a true believer, your faithfulness to the end is guaranteed by God's faithfulness. Because just as your present salvation is by grace alone, so your future salvation is also by grace alone. The God who granted you faith today is the same God who will grant you faith tomorrow and the next and the next until the day you die. Salvation is always by grace. It never stops being by grace. And so if you find yourself living a life of disobedience, the answer is not pick yourself up and try harder. The answer is run to the cross and look at what Jesus did to save you from your sin and put your faith in him. And having been saved by him, God will then give you the energy to follow him to the end. That's why in Revelation 4.10, we see the 24 elders who are likely representative of the church and they're taking their Stephanus, their victor's crowns off of their heads and they're throwing them at the feet of Jesus. And so when we believe until the end, Jesus himself will give us that crown and we will realize that it's only the grace of God that I believed to the end and I will take off that crown and give it back to him in worship. So as we run by faith, Let us also keep resting in grace as we run by faith. Let's pray.